Salutations. This is Josh and Josh After Dark, episode number two, a supplemental podcast to the Untitled Josh Cast. My name is Josh Gershman. I am joined, as always, by my co-host and co-Josh, Josh Hammond. Hey guys, we're doing this one sober. <laughs> um, that's a that's a throwback to the last episode of After Dark. This is our bonus podcast, exclusive to Patreon subscribers at the two dollar level or above. You are listening to it right now for free. Uh, we're offering the first two episodes of After Dark for free, along with obviously the rest of the show, as a little promo as we're launching the podcast so that everybody can really get a feel for the magic and wonderment that is Josh and Josh After Dark. Um, as I mentioned, this is the second of two free bonus episodes. After this next week, After Dark will be uh, Patreon exclusive. Now, if you didn't listen to the first one and you're just jumping into this one, these episodes of After Dark are going to be a little bit different from the regular show. Some weeks they'll be shorter, some weeks they'll be longer, some weeks they'll be for like in-depth, really serious conversations. Sometimes they'll be about fun quizzes and games, um, and there might be some drinking involved, which there was on the last one. So I highly recommend checking that one out. If you like what you hear, you can go to patreon.com slash untitled John, blah, blah, blah. I can also get the read right. If you like what you hear, you can go to patreon.com slash untitledjoshcast to support the show at any level you're comfortable with to get all kinds of benefits like from exclusive episodes like these to early ad-free access and so much more. Now, this episode is going to be on the, the more serious tone, but that doesn't mean it's like a, uh, like a somber conversation, just as obviously in opposite of the drunk quiz time of the last one. Uh, what I wanted to do for this one is talk about Star Trek, which if you've been following along and listened to episode one, where I kind of ramble about Star Trek for a little while, or the last episode of After Dark, where I took a quiz about Star Trek and I got it like a 50%, you'll know that I have some thoughts and feelings about the topic. Uh, but more more recently, in real time, last week, the first season of Star Trek Picard, the brand new show, wrapped, and I was having a lot of thoughts and feelings about that. And so I put some down, put some thoughts to paper here about that show and about Star Trek more specifically. And so that's what we're going to do here. Um, but Josh, I want to I want to bring you in early here because while I think it'll probably this will probably be uh, end up me talking a lot. Um, I wanted to get your overall thoughts and feelings and background and history with Star Trek. I mean, I don't have a lot of thoughts and feelings and history on Star Trek. I probably should. I think that I would like it. I have, I mean, I have some ideas of having seen it and remember that, you know, I didn't dislike it. I didn't enjoy it. I don't know a lot about it. Um, but what I do remember is my mom really enjoyed it. I remember being a little kid and I remember these VHS tapes, you know, with the handwritten, she'd obviously like uh -huh. VCR to VCR stolen these things. 
And I, I remember, I remember Star Trek being on them and I remember her watching them many, 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 many times. And that's the same way that I got into many of the things that I love in life, like specifically what we've already spoken about once and probably what our next episode will be about, which is Back to the Future. I remember learning about those things in the same way. And I mean, I have been in the room at cons and things with people connected. I've, I've watched William Shatner speak many times. Um, I've been in the room with Nichelle a couple times. Um, and they all seem like really grounded, really interesting people. Um, but it's just not, it's, it's not something that like all of the other pop culture things of the world I've ever just, allowed myself to sit down and take time with. And I think it's probably because it's such an overwhelming obstacle to, to overcome. It's like, it's like if you're not currently into Doctor Who, like where the hell do you start? There's 9,247,000,000 things involved yeah. in that. Like, we're, like clearly the beginning is the answer, but like if I start at the beginning of Star Trek right now, I'll be done I mean, we'll still be in quarantine for the coronavirus, but I'll be 86. Um, but one tidbit I have always found interesting, and I don't know whether or not I'm going to ruin something that you're about to speak on, because I intentionally didn't read your script. I wanted to react to you without knowing at all what you're going to say. Um, but I've always found it interesting that Star Trek started as a script that was written as a Western and it was rejected because they were like, this concept doesn't work for us. There's too many Westerns, blah, 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 whatever. And he went and took that exact same Western concept and he just put it in space. And that's where it started. I think you can say the very same thing about star Wars too. Um, And so like, that's, that's the, the Gene Roddenberry beginnings of star Trek are not, um, are not covered here strictly i mean there uh, it's always in the background um but that's certainly an interesting little tidbit but on star wars what is your because they are similar but also also very different what is your like general cultural knowledge level on the star wars side of things i haven't seen most of the last three that have come out okay but the the, the last one i saw was the one that just broke my insides spoiler when they killed Han Solo. Okay, so that was the f- episode seven. Yeah, it's, what's, what's that been, like seven years now? Uh, that was 2015. All right, so yes, I said spoiler, but if you haven't seen that, that's yeah, your sorry, fault. Yeah, sorry, I can't help you. At yeah. this point, that's your fault. Um, but I think that's the last real thing I've gotten into, but I do love that series. Like, I'm of the weird group of people who, like, I don't even mind the the new ones you know jar jar binks didn't bother me vaguely racist but other than that didn't bother me um i don't think that they were as bad as everybody made them out to be and i actually think that as it's progressed into these new films like they do kind of tie in together and i think it's a great series um we were talking recently about the year that everything nerd ended in the same year, like, and Star Trek didn't. It's the one thing that survives. Like the Marvel universe, they wrapped that shit up. 
They wrapped Star Trek up. They wrapped Game of Thrones up. But like, you know, Star Trek has been standing for 647 (laughs) years now. And it's not going anywhere. Like my kids, kids, kids are going to be like live long and prosper. And then they're going to get beat up because just like us, they're fucking nerds. So like that's, yes, absolutely. And that's also, so for me, there's a, there's, I like both series uh, or both, both uh, franchises. And like, I also literally R2D2 is literally tattooed on my body. So I'm not like going to shy away from the fact that I'd love Star Wars, but I love Star Trek more. Um, and, uh, in the next 40 out 40 hours, I'm going to take you through exactly why. So, uh, my, to back up a little bit. So my introduction to Star Trek, I'm sure was very similar to yours as again, we're basically the same age. So the next generation started in 1987. So little six-year-old me sitting on the floor, in my parents' living room, watching Star Trek. Cause my parents hugely into Star Trek. Uh, and when you're six, you do what your parents are doing essentially, right? You watch what they're watching. Um, and so that was my introduction to Star Trek. And similarly to Doctor Who, I like when, if you're into Star Trek, you align yourself with the Trek and the captain that you were first introduced to. And so obviously for me, that's the next generation. And for me, that's Captain Picard. On Doctor Who, it's very similar. We're on Doctor 13 now. So people that are coming to the show now are going to be very interested in uh, the 13th Doctor. Her name is escaping me at the moment. For me, I also am a big fan of Doctor Who. David Tennant is my number one Doctor because that's, again, where I started. But getting back to Star Trek, the the reason I lean more towards Star Trek um, is what I think, it was what I look at as the differences between the two. So this was like a couple weeks ago, maybe, maybe a couple months ago. I don't know. I don't know when anything was anymore. Um, a... Uh, a friend of mine on Star Trek Twitter, which is like, again, just like the community of people being awesome and Star Trekky on Twitter. Um, a friend of mine there, Heather, she goes by Batleth Babe. She's amazing. You should follow her. She had put up a poll that was uh, like, which series do you prefer or something like that. And it was like Star Trek, Star Wars. Maybe there were some other options. I honestly don't remember. I probably should have looked that up. But my, you know, my answer is Star Trek, but it's not like they're not binary. It's not one or the other. It's not black or white. It's the differences between the two. And so like for me, Star Wars has always been about the past. It's always a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And so like no matter what happens, Star Wars is always framed in the past and that these were the events that happened a long time ago. Whereas Star Trek is distinctly the opposite of that. Star Trek is all about the future. And it's never been... It, with the occasion of um, time warp episodes and back in time movies, it's never been about present day Earth. It's always about the future. And that's what I really like. That's where I really dig in to the series. The only real connection that I can remember having to Star Trek is I got really excited when I realized that the reading rainbow guy was on it. LeVar <laughs> Burton, he's fantastic. Um, so that that's for me where I see the differences between the two franchises and why I love Star Trek so much is because it's it's always this hopeful, optimistic vision of the future. In, even and again, I'll get to in a second where we are in Star Trek Picard, which is the very uh, like down and dark and dirty future of the Star Trek universe, but it's still it's still the future. 
The other thing for me that's a big difference is the stories that are told, or at least currently in the past 50 years, the stories that have been told in each universe. Star Wars, they haven't really figured out a way to get out of the, they haven't figured out how to get out of the way of the Skywalker saga. And I know that was a big, that was like a big point of them trying to wrap up this movie and try to put an end to it. But they had nine movies all about this one family. They had a two, well, Rogue, with the exception of Rogue One, which is a fantastic film. But like even the solo, the solo, solo movie is still vaguely connected. Um, whereas I think on the Star Trek side, I don't, I honestly don't think it would have been an interesting to watch like the Kirk family over 200, 300 years. I did find it really interesting in the new films, though, what they did with the beginning scenes where like it's like it's young Kirk and you see him as like the angsty teen. Like I thought that was cool. Also, if I remember correctly, Kirk's from Kansas, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. We No, we Iowa. Oh damn it! It is Iowa. I was gonna say we roll deep. We've got <laughs> we've got Superman and Kirk, but you're right. It is Iowa. There's like a there's like a whole like tourist trap set up to that where you can visit the future birthplace. Of oh yeah. James. Yep. So yeah, so that's that's kind of where I look at the differences. And again, despite the fact, or not even despite it, yes, I have Star Wars significant. I have Star Wars things tattooed on my body. But that's still where I lean. That's a, the, the tattoos are a story for another day. I still lean more into Star Trek um, and say, okay, so now I'm going to switch gears a little bit to talk specifically about uh, to talk specifically about Star Trek Picard because I do need to talk about this um, with somebody. And that you as my podcast partner and somewhat un- unwilling participant, um, you get to be on the other end of this. I so, saw that it made you cry twice. Oh, there have been many more times than that. I can just only document it so many times. Oh, you've only tweeted about it making you cry twice. Yeah, that's accurate. Got it, got it, got it. So, okay. So 2018, two years ago, a time which I can barely remember, it was announced that Sir Patrick Stewart was coming back to the Star Trek universe as Captain Picard. Uh, Around the same time, I feel like that was in the middle of... Star Trek Discovery, the other new show. I feel like that was in the middle of seasons one and two. Somebody can correct me on that. Um, But so like it's just been kind of this rebirth of Star Trek. There's lots of stuff always happening. And so 2018, it was announced he was coming back. Uh, There's this big annual conference that happens in Las Vegas every year. And he showed up and he's like, I'm back. And so that was obviously a big deal. Uh, It wasn't going to be a year and a half later until the show was actually out because that's how long it takes to, to make things these days. But when that happened, I mean, I was, I was beside myself. I mean, like, to, to, to take you back, um, again, getting into my love of both the Star Wars franchises and the Star Trek franchises, when I watched The Force Awakens for the first time in theaters, I was openly weeping. Because, like, for me, I never imagined, I never imagined this would happen. Like, Last uh, Return of the Jedi comes out in 1983. I'm like a wee child, but I've watched it a million, a million times growing up. And then all these other things happen and the prequels happen. I, not so much a fan of the prequels, but, you know, I never imagined it would have, we would have gotten to this. And so like I had a very similar reaction 
to Picard finally coming back because like this is my, you know, space dad to borrow a Will Wheaton term, um, coming back to coming back to the helm of the Enterprise. But, well, or so we thought. I never would have imagined that would happen. Uh, and so for a year, a year plus maybe, it was pretty quiet on the Picard front. Um, I'm not even sure if they had announced showrunners or what had been happening. And then when they finally got to showing teasers and showing trailers, they certainly didn't, uh, they obviously didn't get into a whole lot of material because they didn't want to give two things, too, uh, too many things away. Um, but certainly that was very smart. Uh, then in January, when the show comes out, so now it's a couple months ago, right away we learn some pretty important things about what's happening in Picard's life. Uh, one is that it's been like the same 20 years that have passed in the real world have also passed in the Star Trek world. So you get a very old, you get an older Picard. The last time he was on screen was in the movie called Star Trek Nemesis with a very baby-faced Tom Hardy. It's a, it's a very weird movie. But the end, the things that happen at the end of that movie weigh very heavily on Picard and they, they have a big impact on this series. But the other super interesting thing that happens is that they tied Star Trek Picard the series to Star Trek 2009, seven, the first of the J.J. Abrams movies. Um, so like they tied those two universes together, which I never would have thought possible because like the already when those movies came out, they they became a separate timeline. Like there's all this weird time travel stuff that happens. And it was like, nope, these movies exist over here on a different plane than the Kirk adventures that you know. And Leonard Nimoy, who's in that first movie, like the reason he's there is they explain it and yada, yada, yada. But it's this whole to do. But in Picard, they bring in the events of that movie or like the, the one big event that happens in the beginning of that movie uh, to tie these things together and to like kind of like bring the timeline back into one thing, which I thought was really fascinating. It's interesting the way that you're describing it. Like it sounds like it's, it's Star Trek, but directed by Richard Linklater, where like <laughs> it's like the Before Midnight series only with, with Star Trek. I, I I don't think that's not, I don't think you're too far off with that. I think what's happened, there's so, what's great about Star Trek and what's also um, intimidating, as you mentioned, is how much of it there is. So for me, again, I started in 1987 with The Next Generation. A few years after that, um, Deep Space Nine starts, which is one of my favorite series of all time. A few years after that, Star Trek Voyager. A few years after that, we get Star Trek Enterprise, which I actually don't like. And then we had like a lull. After Enterprise finished, we had the three J.J. Abrams movies. Then there was another little bit of a lull. And then Star Trek Discovery comes back, um, which I do want to touch on. I just need to remember, I need to figure out where I'm going to do that. But there's so much of it. And like, what is also great about it is that so much of it is not linear. Like the current, the current way that which stories are told on television is very linear. It's very episode, serialized where the, for instance, the 10 episodes of season one of Picard was one story. Like you could watch it. It's basically like one big 10 hour movie rather than 10 one hour mini movie slash episodes, which is how old television used to be written and produced. And it's how certainly old Star Trek used to be written and produced. Um, and so 
I think that I think actually your sensibilities would be more suited to modern Star Trek is to seeing a story and to seeing to seeing something evolve over multiple hours more so than just you know 42 minutes at a time it definitely sounds like the way it's set up currently would be something that i'm i'm far more into i'm i'm far more into that long story that long form of storytelling than i am like quick bursts of of bullshit to get you in and then you wrap it up in 12 minutes like full house style so picard again it starts off with this conceit that it's going to basically bring the timelines together and then go from there. What I think is so interesting again about that is how that is different from the other current live action Star Trek series that is running right now, Star Trek Discovery. So that started, I feel like in 2017, I'm going to have to look it up. But that was something where they said, okay, here's the ship. Here is the, here's the time frame it takes place in. And they were like, it takes place after Star Trek Enterprise, which you don't need to understand what that means, but before, uh, before the original series. So this is pre-Kirk and pre-Spock. So like all the, already, if you know Star Trek, then you're like, okay, I know the Kirk and Spock. I know those years, and this is going to be before that. So like you can mentally reset yourself to say, everything that's happening is happening before that. And if you don't know anything, then you can just go in blind and the show will hold your the show holds your hands a little bit to teach you about Star Trek and to teach you about the world. Now, excuse me. Right off the bat, the show does some things which are pretty crazy, and um, kind of retcons a lot of early Star Trek canon, which I don't have a problem with because uh, the show is the show is good. Like ultimately, a lot, there are people who just hate on Discovery um, because the show has two female leads of color and so people are automatically going to hate that but it's an amazing show um what i found most interesting is like right now i will i will advocate for season two of star trek discovery as like one of the best seasons of television i've ever seen but uh, there's no i would have laughed at you if you told me that would have been my reaction after watching the very first episode of discovery and so like i had i had put that off for a long time because one, it was going to be on CBS All Access, which is going to be paid. And like, I didn't want to pay for another streaming service, which is ironic because now you and I have now created another paid streaming service. Um, But I was like, I don't know if I want to pay for another thing. And then Brian Fuller, who we talked about in episode one, because we were talking about TV shows and we got onto the Brian Fuller track, who did Pushing Daisies and who did other things, uh, American Gods, was the he was going to be the original showrunner of Discovery, and then he left. I think he left to go do American Gods. But either way, like I would, I would have been over the moon to see a Brian Fuller Star Trek show. And so then he was off the show. It was going to be on Discovery. It was going to be on All Access, and I didn't get to it. And then, then I kind of became acquainted again with Star Trek Twitter, and there's all these discussions, and people are certainly having a great time watching it. And there's all kinds of really interesting, fascinating things happening. Um, and I'm like, okay, I should give it a shot. And so I downloaded like the first season of the show and watched it while I was on a plane. 
Um, because like I'm watching episode one and I'm like, okay, I kind of, I, I see where this is going. I'm watching episode two. And like after episode two, I, if I wasn't on a plane and literally locked in the sky and had nowhere to go, I might've just put it down. But because I had nothing else to do, I kept going. And I'm glad I did because the, it certainly picks up after that. Um, and by the time you get to the end of season one, like it really gets to someplace special. And I think like that, it's still 14, 15, however many episodes it is, it's still this one long continual story rather than like the old episodic uh, or yeah, episodic nature of old Trek. I had that exact experience that you're talking about with Black Mirror, mm. where I watched the first episode, which is the, the, for lack of a more tasteful way of putting this, the pig fucking episode. Mm. And I, I stopped and I just never moved forward because I didn't realize that they weren't connected the way that most TV series are. And once somebody informed me, I went back and watched. And then once I did, I like watched three seasons in like two days. But I just, it paused me in the same way that like you were like, okay, this isn't for me. And then you moved forward and it turned out to be one of my favorite things that I've ever experienced. So that was season one of Discovery. After that, I was really hyped for season two. Uh, what they do at the end of season one is they tease the USS Enterprise, which again, we haven't heard from the entire time during season one. Um, there's all this drama going on in Starfleet and in the world of season one of Discovery. And at the end of season one, uh, the Enterprise shows up and we're like, oh, that's interesting. I, 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 I also watched it after it had aired. And so like some of these moments had been spoiled for me a little bit. So like I knew it was coming, but I didn't know exactly what the context of the ship showing up was. And, you know, again, I wasn't watching live. So maybe I would have had a different reaction if I didn't know it was going to happen, but I didn't mind it. You know, like I'm, at the end of season one, the ship just shows up and it like has a, there's like a distress call or something. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to see what that ship was up to. Because we know that in the in the timeline, this is pre-Kirk and pre-Spock. So I don't think anyone is expecting them to show up, but it's still before their time. And so it's like the, 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 the Enterprise was in service before Kirk was on the ship, right? Like it, it, it existed. Um, so it would have been interesting to see that. Uh, that's not what happened, of course, but I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Um, right. So the Enterprise shows up. And then there's a break. Obviously, that's the end of the season. You have to wait until whatever the next season was. I think by the time I got there, season two had already begun. Again, like I did, I did not watch them as they aired. I was very late to the Discovery Party. And so the first thing that happens, we get to episode two. Uh, sorry, we get to season two. And it's not Kirk, of course, because we don't know where Kirk is during this time. It's Captain Christopher Pike. So in the original series... Pike is there in like the, f the first one or two episodes. And then in the new movies that came out, Pike is there because he's the captain of the ship in the beginning. And then he gets kidnapped and then Kirk takes over and it's a whole to do. So like I have this general idea of Pike, but like I really couldn't have cared less about him. Bruce Greenwood, who plays the, the actor who plays him in the recent movies, I think he does a fine job, but it still didn't make me care about the character. And then... In season two of Discovery, Anson Mount, who like, I guess I know, but I don't know that I would have picked out of a lineup, 
Um, he's just like, he's the kind of actor that you just want to talk to you all day. Like he just seems like the kind of person that I just want him to call me <clears throat> and tell me I'm doing a good job. Like, like I would run through a wall for that Captain Pike. And that, that, that's what I think is the most remarkable thing about this show is it made me care about a character I could not have cared less about. And like, maybe I've seen those first episodes of early, early Star Trek. And I certainly saw the movies. And like, again, he's a compelling character in those films. But if you had told me um, that, if you had told me back then that there was going to be a show, a series of television that centered around Pike, I would have said, no, thanks. But now, now it's me and a lot of other people are waiting for the Pike show. Like Discovery's airing, Picard is airing. We're all like, where's our Pike show? So something that you said really struck me as a feeling that I had. Um, you said that the Enterprise popped up in this series unexpectedly. Like you didn't know it was coming. It was there. You were just like, huh. And I guess I wanted to ask when you were watching Star Wars and the Millennium Falcon showed up for the first time, you see it in the background. It's like in the junkyard and you're like, ah, oh, there it is. Which of those moments moved you more? Cause I know I got pumped. I was pumped when it was in the background. I was like, yeah, it's going to happen. We're going to do this internal nerd me is on like a nine right now let's go so my my gut i'm my in that moment i had more of an emotional response to the falcon but that was because i already knew there was going to be a scene with han and Chewie and ray and finn on the falcon where he goes it's true all of it's true like i already knew that scene was going to happen which killed me, by the way. Like, that scene killed me. But when the Enterprise shows up at the end of season one of Discovery, I did not, I was like, okay, I'm into it. But I didn't have the context of how mind-blowingly good season two of Discovery was going to be. Um, so I, I didn't have the emotional connection to Captain Pike, who I didn't have until season two of, of Discovery. So, like, in, if you're comparing those moments, I had a much more of a reaction to the Falcon in The Force Awakens, for sure. Because, like, for that was also, as much as I have watched Star Wars over the years, and as much as I continue to watch Star Trek over the years, I never, like I was saying earlier, I never thought we would get, we would get Star Wars again. I thought it would be the prequels, and the prequels kind of, they were done and like, that was it. There was going to be stuff that happened, but like, I, ne I never would have thought it would happen. So like, there's a lot wrapped up in that ship for a lot of people. Um, and so like comparing the two, for sure, there was more, more emotion, more behind that, that Falcon meeting than the first time the Enterprise sh shows up. I definitely agree with you. I thought when the, the prequels flopped and I mean, they didn't flop like, by normal standards, like it definitely wasn't a flop, but like the reaction from like the nerds, like there was just, there was backlash. I thought the series was done. I didn't think that they would ever finish it. And so 
I legitimately, like, I'm no super fan. Like, I was not one of the people fact-checking Weird Al when he wrote the American Pie cover Uh of, like, people went at him, and he was like, dude, try me. It's factually correct. And they could (laughs) not disprove it. So, but, like, even as not one of those nerds, like, when it came on the screen, I, I cried. I legitimately cried. Because it was such a piece of my childhood that I was like, there it is. It's beautiful. So I think this actually, this actually is a perfect segue back into 2020 and back into Star Trek Picard. So again, I have been talking about Discovery. I wasn't into it. Then I became into it. Then season two happens. um, And then I'm all, I'm all about Captain Pike right now. Uh, Hopefully we'll get a Pike show. I don't know if that's going to happen, but we'll see transition that to catch Picard. I mean, come on, like there's, you know, the Will Wheaton, who I'm a big fan of and a great admirer of on just on the internet. And as a human being refers to the next generation cast as his, as his family. And like, I, you know, growing up with this growing up, I felt the same way. There was no, there was nothing I wanted to be more when I was six years old than will then, um, well, then uh, Wesley Crusher, like, and so like, I, I felt absolutely the part of that. And that, um, even though I don't watch as much, as much next generation anymore, uh, it's still like a touchstone for me personally of my Trek history. And so comparing again, going into discovery, not caring who these characters were, and then how much that turned, I have like, I don't have the opposite reaction about Picard. Like, it's not that I don't care about them. I had the opposite feelings going in where I already, for me and for a lot of people, for better or worse, we have this like, idyllic vision of who Captain Picard is because of how long he has been in our lives. And again, the prospect of that coming back to television was just unbelievable. Uh, and then there were little teases of the other characters from the other characters from the Star Trek canon that were going to be a part of the show um, that, oh my God, the name is escaping me. Jonathan Frakes, the actor who played Will Riker in the TV show, um, also has done a lot of directing. And so it was always fun for me to see his name pop up on like NCIS, who would direct an episode or stuff like, like it's always fun to see his name pop up on things. But then it announced that he was going to be involved in the show. And there was a teaser with him and Marina Sirtis who plays Councilor Troy, that they were going to be involved. Uh, actually, yesterday, the way we're recording was Marina Sirtis's birthday. So happy birthday, Marina Sirtis. Um, and so, like, there were, there's these little, these little glimpses that the teasers and trailers have given me and given people about what to expect, the kinds of characters that were going to be a part of the show. But even more than that was new characters that we didn't know anything about. And so I went in... Uh, with very high expectations, but also with a very, like, I'll say a very big margin for error. Like, they really would have had to screw something up colossally for me to not like what they were doing here. Uh, That didn't happen. Uh, The show was fantastic. But, like, I already went, like, there there was nothing, there was very few things they could have done that, like, would have totally thrown me. And so I went in with this, like, very high set of expectations and very high hopes, obviously, for the show. And the, what I think is really interesting is how much Patrick Stewart didn't want to do this at first. 
Um, if you hear him talk about the series, I don't know how much, I don't know if he's done it so much in recent interviews because I think recent interviews have been more about the end of the show and like it's more celebratory. But in the beginning, before it aired, he's spoken at length about how he was approached by the producers of the uh, Kiva Goldsman, who's kind of like the dawn of Star Trek right now. Like he just, he's pulling the strings of all the Star Trek things right now that he had put together multiple pitches to Patrick to say, hey, we want to do Picard. It's going to look like this. And he said no every time he said no. Um, and I think that uh, that's, shows incredible restraint. You and I joked um, about on the first episode about Michael Shore and his ability to stop telling a story uh, about, about uh, the, the, the Good Place. Uh, I think, again, with Patrick Stewart, that shows incredible restraint to be like, the f- millions of people around the world love me as this character. And I could just as easily go back and do that show or do a movie or do whatever, and people will love it because people love me. And he didn't want to do that. He wanted to get as far away from that as possible. Uh, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but he just wasn't interested in playing Picard anymore. And to the producer's credit, um, they didn't give up. And eventually, the, the showrunner, or I guess the lead writer they got involved was Michael Shabin, who, for me personally, is like a hugely influential writer in my life. He's written a couple of my favorite books of all time, um, including The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. And just, he's just an incredible writer, somebody who, um, whenever I, there's no, there's nobody, there's no writer out there right, quite like quite like him like there's no mistaking a Michael Shaman book for anyone else at least in my opinion um and the fact that he was going to be involved in a series of television I'm like okay got one of my favorite writers he's going to be doing tv okay I'm interested and then to take on Star Trek um is just like it, it getting back to my expectations the show already couldn't have been better right you put like my favorite IP my favorite captain one of my favorite writers, and they're going to make a TV show? Like, how would I not, how could I not already love it? But it's not, it was more than that. Like, the sum, the sum of the parts are, the sum is greater than the part. I don't know what the saying is, but like it, they all, all these things come together to create something <clears throat> that's just, that's just really magical. And like, to hear Michael Shabin talk about his experiences growing up watching the original series because he's of that generation and how he is a, a, a you know, self-professed lifelong Trekkie and has always loved Star Trek to, to he, for me, I think it was important that somebody, someone who cares about something as much as I do is involved in something that I care about as much as I care about it. Right. Like you don't want, you know, you don't want somebody that's, not interested in the thing that you love to come in and be in charge of the thing that you love. And so that, that also put, you know, a lot of expectations on, uh, on the show for me about what I thought it could be and where I thought it was going to go, but I'm sure no shortage of expectations on them. And it's, I don't know who the first one or two or three or four rounds of writers were, that they brought in for Picard. Like, I, I, I want to know, but I also don't want to know. Because, like, uh, it might be people that either are, like, big Hollywood names or people that are, love Star Trek as deeply as I do, and they're like, oh, they missed their shot. But I, 
I have to think that they see what's happening here and they're like, yep, they made something really special. I mean, I think that you nailed it. I think that you nailed everything that I love about things like this too, where like, I mean, take back to the future, for example, like I'm really lucky to love a franchise that protects itself so well. Like in the era where everything is being remade, like they're talking about remaking Gremlins. I'm going to kill myself if that happens. (laughs) Like they've protected Back to the Future to the point that I will be shocked if there is ever a remake or ever a sequel. Like for multiple reasons. One, you can't do it without Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox is Back to the Future. Like, I can't think of another person that would be as good as Marty McFly as him, with the exception of maybe the kid who has been playing Spider-Man. Like Tom Holland. I could yeah. see Tom Holland being a really good Marty McFly. And if you go that route, I definitely also think that I I don't know who plays Doc. We can get into this on my episode. Just ignore this right now. This, we'll go from there. But you also said something about the writing, and the writing is so incredibly important to me that, like, I can't see somebody else rewriting or reworking Back to the Future. Like, I love Kevin Smith. I don't want Kevin Smith touching Back to the Future. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's a nerd like us. He would probably do a good job with it he's very careful about things that he finds passionate i don't know if he's a back to the future fan but i know that he's a star wars fan and like i would trust him to do an okay job with with star wars writing but it doesn't mean that i want him to do it and i think that it's nice that you enjoy you know michael and his writing and that he touched a piece of something that is important to you as someone who is important to you yeah, I think that that was so he had written an episode of um Star Trek Short Treks. And so what that was is in between seasons one and two of Discovery, and now also in between in between seasons two and three, they created four four like little mini episodes. They were like eight to ten, eight to twelve minutes long, and they were called short treks. And the ones that take place in between seasons one and two. I'm actually trying to remember them. I can't remember them except for the one that Michael Shabin wrote. And it was, it was just this like this time capsule episode of this guy who wakes up on a ship and it's thousands of years in the future. And he doesn't know, like he doesn't know anything. So imagine just like a a, a character, a person, you dropped into the future. Um, And it's just really fascinating to see him, Michael Shabin, not the character, start to like start to play in this world and start to start to like get his hooks in it. Because this came out, it was after after it was announced that he was going to be running the show for Picard. It was like, oh hey, here's his first thing doing Star Trek. And again, not that I needed any convincing, but that was before I really knew that was before I had like the background of Michael Shabin as this huge Star Trek fan and this huge, like passionate lover of the canon of everything. And I'm just like, all I, I go into that as a writer that I really adore is going to write Star Trek. I'm like, okay, I'm into it. That's like, um, we've, we've, we've talked about Neil Gaiman a bunch of times when Neil Gaiman wrote for Dr. Who, I think he did one or two episodes of Dr. Who. I'm like, okay, you don't need to convince me. I love Neil Gaiman, love Dr. Who. 
put two and two together. Um, but if Neil Gaiman was going to run a, a season of Doctor Who television, that would that's like that's a different level, right? And for me, that's what this season one of Picard was. Like it was getting this together. It was just a different level of care. Um, the thing that the thing so this season of television it is really good. It is not without issue. No, there's no perfect seasons of television, despite what I was just raving about, about Discovery season two. It's really good. Season one of Picard is very good. It is not without some issues. Um, there, and it's like, it's little things. It's things that there's one episode in particular where there's some funny voices. I'm like, okay, I could have done without that. Um, there's a couple of, there's a couple of deaths, not no spoilers. There's a couple of deaths which um, could have been served a little better. They could have served the story a little bit better. And that's in my opinion as someone who's not a professional writer. So what the hell do I know? But as a TV viewer, they're like, okay, maybe I would have liked something different there. But it's, it is really an, an impactful journey. And like you see the you see so much that happens with Picard, with the lead character. And so like, if you know nothing about Star Trek, but you know that Patrick Stewart plays Captain Picard, you're like, okay, you could probably watch this show and follow along. But because I, because I have so much invested in Star Trek personally, that like, I want, I want to know as much as possible about everything that's happening on the show. Uh, We talked on episode one, about Alison Pill, how great she is on this show. And her, when we recorded that, that was in the middle of the season. We were, we, you and I recorded a couple, that was like two weeks ago. Maybe. I can't remember I don't know what happened. But in the time that we recorded to the time now where we're at the end of the series, her character has changed like so dramatically. And I think that's a testament to bringing new people into the Star Trek universe and how Michael Shabin and like the writers in the room were really able to shape that and to say, this is what Star Trek is now. Everybody gets a story. You don't just have to, you know, you don't, ironic because no one's really wearing a uniform in the show. You don't just have to wear the uniform. You don't just have to have the comm badge communicator. Everybody on this show gets a story. And I think that's what was so, I think that's what, that's probably one of my favorite things about this first season of TV is they I think they really did service to a lot of the a lot of the characters and they really made it the you know as much as Picard is literally in the title of the show it's it is it is an ensemble it is bigger than just him and everybody really had a, a really huge part to play and a very and that the the actors in the show who are coming to Star Trek for the very first time are just amazing I mean, I think that's the thing about series and franchises like Star Trek that make them so timeless is the fact that they're they're bigger than one character. Like, it's impossible to drag on situations for like, I mean, I don't know when Star Trek started, but I assume that we're on year 40 or 50 at this point, if not more. I think last year was 50 years. Yeah, and like... It seems like The Simpsons has dragged on for 50 years and they haven't. But like, (laughs) it's like The Simpsons times three at this point. But like, it's because those characters, they are timeless characters. And that's not 
you know, that's not just sci-fi and that's not just television. Like that's literally literature. Like that is, that is how you create a character arc that lasts forever. And I know it seems a little, I, I can't think of another word, but douchey for me to like compare Star Trek to Shakespeare. But I do think in some ways, like it is on that level that the writing has been formed in a way that the characters are relatable and so full in a way that it is intended to be able to like, I mean, my mom would be 60 this year and she loved these things and I'm 40, but there, I guarantee you that there are 13 and 14 year old little nerds like us that are watching this series and for it to bridge those generations in a way that nothing else can, it, it's there's something pretty spectacular and special about that. You'll get no arguments from me about Star Trek being like Shakespeare. Uh, Patrick Stewart, of course, is a huge Shakespeare buff, performed Shakespeare, I'm sure, all over the world. I mean, I'm assuming, um, but it certainly performed Shakespeare in the past. There are, there's at least two Shakespeare references in this first season. I think it's actually in the very first episode, and there was definitely one in the last episode. Um, and it, that's, again, getting back to how to peak, how to, ta- how to check all the Josh boxes, right? Love Star Trek, love, Stu- love Patrick Stewart, studied Shakespeare in college. Like, these are all the things that you're just going down my list and checking the boxes. Um, the, the last thing I want to bring up about well, for today in this discussion of Star Trek is the, so after each episode aired for season one of Picard, CBS did what a lot of shows are doing now or a lot of networks are doing and they're doing an after show. Um, The Game of Thrones famously did this. Walking Dead, of course, famously did this. And so they do their own after show now. It's called The Ready Room. And I, I I do think they did do this after Discovery, but I was you know I wasn't watching it in time, so I'm um, so I wasn't as tuned in. But for Star Trek Picard, the host they have for the Ready Room is none other than Will Wheaton, who is somebody again who like I just love with every fiber of my being, and you know I, as somebody who's followed him, or like really has never stopped following him, um, in his assorted careers of you know, TV roles and just doing assorted nerdy things on the internet. Um, it's somebody who has like, I've always just admired as being uh, just seeming like a good guy nerd on the internet. And oh, by the way, he was also like in one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, but what has, what I have learned or like, and it's not a, certainly not a, not a secret anywhere or like the, the ways in which he was kind of pushed out of the Star Trek community. <clears throat> he's told stories about how the producers themselves, when he was on Next Generation, uh, were not that great to him. They prevented him from doing other work when Star Trek wasn't filming. Um, and there was all kinds of drama mixed up in him leaving the show. I'm pretty sure of that, but correct me if I'm wrong. And that's really heartbreaking, right? To like, after all this time and think that, I look at Wesley Crusher on that show and I remember me as a kid watching Wesley Crusher on that show and just being like, how do I get to be a kid on a spaceship? And to know that behind the scenes, it was terrible for young Will Wheaton at the time. And so like now to contrast that with where he is now, to then be able to do this show and to be both 
a professional nerd and like professional nerd host of a TV show, as well as to be like, he's our, he's the fan's voice on this show too. So it's like a little clip show, wrap up show. And then in each episode of the Red Room, there's also an interview. And so it started off with interviewing Michael Shabin and um, Hanley Culpepper. I think that's her name, the director of the first two episodes. And then subsequent episodes had some of the cast on, um, some of the new cast, some of the old cast. And then it's the, the very last episode of the Ready Room was obviously after the season finale. And the interview was with Allison Pill and Patrick Stewart. And to like, for me, for me, it was, it was really a moment to watch Will Wheaton talk to Patrick Stewart about Star Trek. Like, it's, it's again, one of those things where you don't know, you don't know when those opportunities are going to happen. Like maybe they get to happen behind closed doors, right? Because like they're all, they still talk to each other. They still, um, uh, you know, they'll do the occasional hangout. They happen to be at a con yeah, at the same time. Yeah, I was going to say con. But you it, pay lots of money to public, watch that. Right, like in public, on TV, we as the fans don't get to see that. And like it was, as somebody, again, who does not know Will Wheaton at all, was really gratifying to see that they were able to have that connection. They were able to do that in a in front of the camera professional context. Well, I can I can confirm firsthand that Will Wheaton is just a normal nerd like the rest of us. I can remember <laughs> in the late nineties, early two thousands, just when email was really starting to become a thing. Like it was like a new weird thing to like have email that he would you would email will wheaton and will wheaton would email you back like he would he would correspond with his fans via email just because he wanted to talk and i always to this day i still think that's one of the coolest things about i mean him that he would just take time out of his day as the leader of the nerds to be the leader of the nerds and he's always been in my top five people in our weird quirky somewhat antisocial not antisocial socially awkward like rat pack like with the the exception of kevin smith and my beloved felicia day like he's right there near the top i don't know if uh, i can't i could i wouldn't think we would do a whole episode about ready player one um, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that, uh, both the movie and the book. But one of the things that's in the book that doesn't make it into the movie is how Will Wheaton is like the president of the internet. And I'm like, yep, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect I'm sense. I'm convinced to this day that Will Wheaton invented the internet for nerds. <laughs> he, he may just have done that. So that is, uh, this has been, I don't know, 40, 50 minutes. I lost track of talking about Star Trek. Uh, it's just like there's such a there's so much that it's hard for like I had to write down all these things I wanted to talk about. Otherwise, I would have just ping ponged back and forth more than I already did in this thing, deviating from my script and from my notes as much as I did. There's just so much in there. There's just so much. There's just so mu- there's just so much. Um, I am I am really excited about. Season two of Star Trek Picard, whenever that happens, we're getting at least a second season. How much more than that? I don't know. It's up to Patrick Stewart. It literally is up to him. He could say, look, 
he could call me up. I'm not going to do a British accent because I'm terrible at accents. And he could say, look, Josh, I have some bad news. I'm not going to do a second season after all. And I would be like, yes, sir. I understand, sir. Thank you, sir. It's up to, it's totally up to him what happens here. Um, but we're getting at least a second season and I'm really excited about that. Uh, but like the, we are in this golden age of Star Trek right now with Picard, with Discovery. There's, uh, there's an animate, I think there's two animated series in the works. There's at least one more live action series in the works. Uh, it's, it's really amazing. Like my hope that, you know, they can't all be winners. You know, you, you hope that whatever the down one is, isn't terrible, but it's just, there's just so much happening right now. It's really exciting. Okay. I'm going to go into a power round because we've given you almost an hour. So I I need you to keep each of these question answers kind of short. Okay. I'll do my best. If you could pick any actor that is currently acting, you can't pick like James Dean to play a character in Star Trek that hasn't happened yet, who would you pick and why? Wow. Oh my God. Um, okay, the Denzel Washington, because that's the first name that popped into my head. Because like he's just so there's no there's nobody can out Denzel Denzel. And I would just love to see him in Star Trek. Love that. That was great. That was quick. You nailed that. Question two. If the Millennium Falcon and the Starship Enterprise lined up at the same spot and took off in a Rebel Without a Cause street race, which one (laughs) gets to the cliff first? Wow. I'm pretty sure the answer is um, the ship from Battlestar Galactica. I read that article too. God damn it. (laughs) Question three. For further podcasts in the future. Yes. If I were to start in one place and watch one season all the way through and then report back to you, what would you pick for my homework? I would tell you to watch season two of Star Trek Discovery. It is one of the best seasons of television I have ever seen. Do I need to watch season one to get to season two? Watch it afterwards. Like, yes, you'll miss some context, but watch season two is so good. Like, it's just going to grab you and take you on a ride, and it's amazing. Then go back and watch season one, and you'll be like, oh, okay, that's what they were talking about. So we'll do that, and then we'll revisit. We'll have a follow-up. We'll give you another hour of Star Trek. (laughs) I can't wait. I cannot wait for all these things so that I can spend more hours talking about Star Trek. I can't wait for you to do this and talk for multiple hours about Back to the Future and many other topics. Um, So I thank you, Josh. I thank you, if you are still listening to this, for, um, for not humoring me, but for allowing me to go on as I have. Um, But now we will transition into the credits and we'll wrap things up. If you have enjoyed this show, and I sincerely hope that you have. Please leave us a nice rating or review on Apple Podcasts and or a follow on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you happen to listen. Those things would really help us out. If you want to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash untitledjoshcast, where you can get exclusive episodes like this and so much more. And remember, this episode is free for everybody, 
but next week and going forward, the After Dark episodes will be Patreon exclusive. This show is written and hosted by me, Josh Gershman, and Josh Hammond. It is edited by me, and it is produced by Rylan James. The podcast's intro music is Gemini by Alki, and the song you're hearing right now in the background is Cautious by Emma Rosa. Both appear on the untitled JoshCast with permission from the artists. This is the part of the credits where we would be listing off all of the Patreon producers at the $25 level or above. Uh, and if that's something that is of interest to you, you can go check it out on our Patreon. We hope you have enjoyed this very special bonus free episode of the Untitled Josh Cast's supplemental podcast, Josh and Josh After Dark. Thank you so very much for listening. Live long and prosper. Oh, I got to be cautious.